So I always get nervous when we do these podcasts and we interview radio people who are actually professionals at this job. Yeah. That's what we're, you I don't not, like it. You're yeah, not a professional. Thanks, mm-hmm. thanks, Carly. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah, we're not. I, we're not. We're not. not we're just, amateurs. Not <laughs> we are all amateurs. We here. are amateurs in this biz. But today we are going to talk to a professional who has been doing this for a long time. She's been interviewing people in three states at least uh, with radio gigs in Ohio, Portland, Oregon, and now the new host of Stateside in Michigan, April Bear. She's our guest, and you're listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Uh, <laughs> Didn't your microphone break when we were... No, I was an idiot, and I think I had something muted and wasn't paying attention. You okay? It's my allergies. Literally, I have... COVID. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I don't have COVID. Jimmy got you couldn't have, I'm like, edited that better. <laughs> Welcome to Cold Oatmeal, a podcast by the Rush Strategies team about PR and public affairs. Really. I was distracted staring at Joe's Cold Oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's here. He's got it on his, it's, on his it's desk. Always right here. Here. It's always here. And by the way, the, the, the ratio of, like, fruit to disgusting is, like, 1 to 10. It's got some disgusting stuff and some fruit. Yeah, There's nothing disgusting. One part fruit. What's, what, what in there is disgusting? I don't even know what's in it, but it, it looks like cucumber mash and maybe a couple of chopped apples. Did you have Burger King for breakfast? What was your... Say that! <laughs> Welcome back. This is the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. This is Matt Resch. I am the owner of Rest Strategies. We are a public affairs and a public relations firm headquartered in downtown Lansing, Michigan, and we bring you this little podcast every other Thursday. Um, you can find us at reststrategies.com. Uh, we are on Twitter, on Facebook, and Instagram at Rest Strategies. And of course, all of these podcasts are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, on our website, all kinds of other places as well. And we have a fun little Twitter account that someone has set up for us. Still, we are epi- this is episode 70. You know, it's episode 70. still don't know who runs the, the, the Twitter feed, but it's at Cold Oatmeal Pod. Yeah. Check that out. You should check it out because um, somebody shared a photo. Oh, yeah. Someone showed um, a photo. Of Matt oh, opening his gifts. So if you wanted to see that, that's where you Who shared that photo, Nikki? I may have shared it. <laughs> it's a really good photo. It is. It's it my is. favorite photo it's of just you, I think. Pure joy <laughs> on your face, I think. You don't instantly get the theme song to Gilligan's Island stuck in your head. Yes. yes. For those who didn't listen last week when we were talking to uh, to our pollster singer friend, I also opened my uh, Christmas presents, my late Christmas presents, yes. very late. They were. Mm-hmm. It's not um, our fault. Better late than never. Mm-hmm. Yes. One of them was a little captain's hat, which I put on above my on top of my earphones. Mm-hmm. It's very nice of all of you. Mm-hmm. So let, I don't don't take another minute without letting all of you introduce yourself, the, oh. the, the generous folks who have given me those gifts. Nikki, why don't we end with you? <laughs> Carly Buell. Uh, Nick Deleuze on the, the Zoom. Laura's on Zoom too. And and Nikki O'Mara and is thank here. Thank you very much. So yeah, today we are gonna we are gonna talk to some radio folks, um, uh, radio and podcasting folks, uh, people who do this stuff on a daily basis. Uh, some new friends, and we're gonna have a surprise visit from an old friend. But our main guest, our main uh, uh, interview today is April Bear. And April is the host of Michigan Radio's Stateside Program. It's a daily talk show uh, that talks to people and, and covers topics. It's a current event show. It's heard on radio stations all across Michigan. 
It also has a daily podcast that you can find by searching for stateside. April is new to Michigan. Uh, she just moved here a year ago to take over this job. She was in Oregon before that and Cleveland before that, doing similar jobs as host of uh, Morning Edition on the public radio stations there. So we are happy to have her in Michigan. Uh, happy to have her here on the Cold Oatmeal Podcast to talk a little bit, a little public radio hosting. Maybe we can learn something. Certain thing I hope too. so. Yeah. yeah. It'd be good. I bet we will. Mm-hmm. I think we will. April Bear. So April Bear, thank you so much for joining us on the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. It is a pleasure, Matt. I, this is this is so fun. I've been listening to you guys for a while, ever since I was sort of stalking Michigan from back in Oregon. <laughs> well, I think this should be a rite of passage for anyone who comes into Michigan should become a guest, come <laughs> and talk about their experiences elsewhere. So we appreciate you taking some time this morning. You bet. Um, you know, I wanted to start because obviously you host the statewide radio show, and I've always been fascinated since I since you it was announced you were coming and that you're coming from, from Oregon, how someone who is covering another state, living in another state and is coming to Michigan and now has to cover a whole new state and do it on a daily basis, what that transition is like. Yeah. Well, I mean, for one thing, I, I don't know that every, every journalist or even every ex-journalist would agree with this, but I do think that in our line of work, you need for your skills to transfer. You know, it's like we we grow up in our communities and we start telling stories. We start telling the stories that we know very well and that we're we're very familiar with and where we understand a lot, if not all of the people who are involved. But when you really start to grow as a writer and I guess as a thinker is is when you sort of get outside your comfort zone. And I do think that people can do that living in, you know, it's possible to do that within the city that you grew up in by just, you know, putting yourself in some different situations and meeting some different people and, and trying, trying stuff. I mean, that's why reporters sometimes just go on different beats. But in this era, it, it does feel like it's, it's kind of a, it's an unspoken requirement that you're going to move around and, and you're going to see if your, your way of talking about things and your way of talking to people, if that really works in places where you're the outsider and you don't, you don't know the turf, you don't know the people, and more to the point, they don't know you. And why would they tell you the truth about stuff? So I don't know. I'm actually, I grew up in Ohio and I lived in my last few years in the state were spent in Cleveland, which is where I really thought I was going to be spending most of my life. I just, I loved it there. But um, <laughs> there was a relationship thing with a guy and he got a job in Oregon. And so that was why I moved out there. And so coming back to Michigan, like, first of all, it was coming back to the, the lakes, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I felt like my, my husband is from Ann Arbor. And we had always sort of talked about this anyway. And I don't think I could move into just any state and kind of have a comfort level or at least know where to get started. But coming to Michigan was kind of a no-brainer. You know, there's there's a whole Michigan-Oregon love story anyway because of, um, you know, the, the, the fact that people really value the, you know, their natural spaces in both places. That's true across party lines. Um, there's there's uh, definitely, I mean, <laughs> you wouldn't know it these days in Oregon, but there is a history of political diversity in Oregon. I mean, this is where Bob Blackwood was from. This yeah. is where, um, you know, any, uh, Mark Hatfield was from. And there have been any number of 
moments in Oregon history when you kind of could have seen the same things happening in Michigan. And obviously Oregon's a lot bluer now than it ever has been before, but it's still pretty red in a fair amount of the state. So all my time there, I was also working for a statewide news network and those were, that was an awareness and, and a skill that, that I think never really went out of my vernacular while I was there. Yeah, and also just like the, the sort of the shared history of like coming out of a, a very industrial economy. Um, that's something that Ohio understands and I, you know, understood about from my time in Cleveland. It's something that you see, uh, you know, Detroit and Portland and Cleveland all having gone through, but having come out of it in very different ways. I don't know that I could have just up and moved anywhere new and, and tried to take on a daily show, but this was, this was a challenge I had been interested in for a long time. And also I had hosted a daily, I had hosted morning edition for 11 years at various stations and I'd hosted a daily uh, call-in show in Cleveland. So I had a little, I had a little experience with the breaking. So I'm a, some, some listeners will know of this podcast. I'm a Hoosier. I'm a, not a, a native yeah. Michigander either. So, <clears throat> but I've been here for 20 years. I'm curious, did you, Mich- people from Michigan have a, have a sense about them and a sense about the way the state is. And I don't say that in any kind of positive or negative way, but I'm wondering, did you bump into any resistance from people? It's like, oh, wait, you're, you're not from here or you need to learn, you need to learn some things about how we do things or how we think about things. I mean, I think people were watching. Um, I think people were definitely like, well, what does she, what does she know? That that's, that's always true whenever you're hosting, you know, because you're, you're gonna, <laughs> every day is an exercise in entering, you know, entering a story or a concept that you, you may not have and probably not have dealt with very much. So I don't know, I feel like doing the prep and doing the legwork and understanding the subject matter as best as you can is always, has always been an important MO for me. So, and there's, you know, there's a way to, there's a way to acknowledge what you don't know. I'm trying to think of a good example and nothing comes immediately to mind, but there's a way that you can let, you can, you can sort of understand the basics of of a narrative and yet you can let your curiosity guide you a little bit. So many stories that get reported. I think this is especially true in local news. So many stories that get reported. There's a lot of stuff taken for granted and there's a way that people will talk about, I don't know, um, the great recession in Michigan or um, you know, the Flint water crisis where stuff, stuff has been repeated or is so well understood that it just doesn't even get mentioned. I mean, I guess Kwame Kilpatrick, somebody made the comment when he was released the other day that nobody wants to talk about the story. And I was like, why? (laughs) The problem is that he became a vessel for so many, so many folks feelings about Detroit and about race and power in Detroit. And that was an unspoken that I had to have explained to me. And, and that's, you know, so what are you going to do with that knowledge? You're not going to pretend to be a part of the story. You're not going to pretend to have, to have felt that experience, but you can certainly ask people better questions if you know that. So I've, I guess I've been trying to leverage my ignorance is what I'm saying. Is there something interesting or surprising that you've learned about this state or its people that you weren't expecting to know in this process? Hmm. I mean, 
we've been coming back here every summer for about 13 years to visit my, you know, all our family on my husband's side. Um, I am far from, I am far from really having my sea legs all the way. Um, I guess just the fact that things have changed in this region that we used to, we used to call it the North coast in Cleveland. Does anybody, is it, is that a phrase anybody in Michigan ever uses? No. Okay. No. I, I love it. it. I thought what it was it, such a great phrase. You know? Can you define it? What's the what part of Michigan is the North? Sure. Coast? Well, the reason we used to use it in Cleveland was to talk about the fact that we, you know, Lake Erie was like this big coast, right? <laughs> um, and there was definitely an ethos to living if you if you live in the Great Lakes region. Um, but which coast is it? It's it it kind of is America's North Coast. And I when I. I would like to have a more elastic definition of that, where we think of everybody in Michigan and I guess Illinois and Wisconsin and the North part of Ohio included in that as well. I mean, there's some shared DNA, even among the, even among the smaller towns, it's not just the larger towns, but in the same way that, you know, people understand what's meant by a West Coast ethos. When I think of a North Coast ethos, again, think of people who probably spend their summers on lakes who probably send, uh, spend part of their winters, uh, you know, in some serious form of Bernie Sanders parka. <laughs> and <laughs> there was some, I, I was catching intense mitten envy in all those pictures for making the rounds. People acted like they were making fun of Bernie, but I just think they wanted this mitten. No, I, think, <laughs> I, think, I don't right. think anyone in America did any work yesterday. I think that's all. That they <laughs> yeah, just just photoshopping him. Um, and I think, I don't know, like, because of the history of where we live, these, I know it's not, it's not traditionally thought of to talk about our part of the world as a cosmopolitan center. And it's not compared with New York, but at the same time, we have been one of those places where people come when they come to America, right? And certainly, you know, Detroit, Hamtramck, Cleveland, these places have, um, I would say awareness of global events that, I found lacking in Oregon, quite frankly. And part of it is because, you know, if you've got a, if you've got a grandma, you know, who told stories about the old country, you might pay attention when news from Poland comes on the radio. Or mm -hmm. if you've got an uncle who's, you know, still, um, who still uh, sends packages from Jordan every once in a while, of course you're gonna pay attention to news from other parts of the world. So that's, that's what I think of when I think about sort of North Coast ethos, is that kind of connection with the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you a little bit about how you do your job, because I've always been really intimidated by the idea of having to do something like this every day. Oh my God, Matt, because, you can totally do it. Oh, sweet. Okay. <laughs> no, the, but like the amount of prep and having, you know, one or two new people coming in every day, having to, you know, kind of get a, get on top enough of a to, on, of a topic to be able to kind of lead a conversation with someone. Can you walk right. through like what is kind of what's a, a a week like for April Bear and getting ready for your shows and how much time you have to plan them and what kind of prep time you have to put into those things? Sure. Um I, I do want to say I the first time I was hosting a daily show I mean morning edition is a form of that but hosting a local hour long news program I had maybe 5 years under my belt. And it was very different. I have to say, when you, when you 
slide into the chair after having, having 25 years experience, it's a vastly different ball of wax. I've had times in my life when, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of politics reporting and I've done a lot of uh, uh, law crime courts, civil, civil justice, civil cases, a lot of that kind of stuff. I have done a bit of science reporting, done a, some education reporting here and there. Um, and I think everyone, when they become a parent, their fluency with education issues kind of goes through the ceiling, right? And I had been an arts reporter too. Uh, and I had also, I was on military affairs at a time when there was a pretty big Oregon Guard deployment to Iraq, which was a huge crash course in all kinds of, of issues. Um, so I'm not saying I can't get caught out. <laughs> it happens all the time. But all of the things that you've had to write about over the years, all the things you've had to talk to people about in general assignment reporting, and all of the things that you've read just as a curious person all come into play. And, you know, that doesn't make me an expert in all those things, but it starts to get me toward the language of, of questions. And like, knowing that I don't know, I don't know the title, I don't know the exact form of address every single person in each branch of the military service, but I know to go look that up before the interview with, you know, the Lieutenant Colonel or whatever. And I don't, I know what I don't know. There, there are things that I, I guess when you get to this point in your career, you start to you start to get a better sense of how to spend your preparation time. My average day starts out just going over. Um, I mean, we kind of we kind of have a discussion going about what we're going to do the next day. So I've got a general idea of what Plan A looks like uh, from the calendar. And sometimes, if I'm lucky, there's even some prep material in it, or I've at least had a chance to discuss it with producers. And so I start the day uh, by going through um, the papers. Three uh, Detroit News, Lansing State Journal, the Traverse City Record, uh, the Macomb County paper. I've got just a, a list. Bridge Detroit, Bridge Michigan. Uh, just see what's going on. Check in with socials. See what people are just sort of gabbing and fetching about. And um, and our internal our internal channels as well. Double check and see what the assignments are for the reporters. Um, it's, it's you're crazy if you're not leveraging uh, what the newsroom has to offer when you're a daily show. And then uh, I, I usually just have like some back channel conversations with the other people on the team, Laura and the gang. And I have to say like the, the, the greatest thing about being on a three o'clock show is you can sort of have a couple hours in the morning to let things marinate. Like we have our plan, but we're going to have, we're going to have sort of chatted about this and then there's a there's a newsroom meeting at nine and then we have our first formal editorial meeting at 9 30 where we make decisions about if stuff needs to change so we have we have some we have some opportunities to pivot the other thing that I had to learn coming on to stateside is like I was used to doing interviews for my own feature reporting and my own weekly show in Oregon that could be I mean I could do a 90 minute interview if I wanted to I could do, you know, we, tr I, I tried to develop a good sense over the years, of, you know, how not to get too much tape. And Matt, I think you'll know what I mean when I say that, <laughs> but you know, if, if, if you find a string, you pull it. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've had to learn in stateside is to have an idea where the strings are going to be not get, I mean, 
you always, it, it's good to get surprised, but I don't want to get too surprised just because I don't want to make the producers miserable and have, have, you know, and ask them, okay, we know we've got an eight minute slot for this interview. And I turn around and give them, you know, 50 minutes of tape. I mean, that's just me. That's me. <laughs> and it's not really serving the audience either, because if we, you know, not everybody has time to listen to um, podcast length interviews, shall we say? Mm -hmm. And we have a bit of a balance in the show of trying to tell people what they want to know, but also honoring the time that they're spending with us. So I spend, I, Matt, I guess I would say that I kind of try to spend a little time at, at, the, at the front end of the day, just figuring out where my energy goes, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. There may be a topic I'm super super nerdy about and super interested in and i may just have to tell myself um all right but this is this is a 15 minute slot for what we're trying to do what would be one of those topics that you're super nerdy about and interested in oh, man so this was our fault we taped something for mlk day and uh we had three we had three segments planned for the show and one of them, we thought it would be interesting to talk to someone who was active in civil rights back in the day, who actually met Dr. King, and somebody who's been active with Black Lives Matter now. And so we did that. And the thing is, like the questions you're going to ask people about those life experiences, that's not a 10-minute slot. And I, I don't know, I was... I was in a rush and I didn't, I didn't realize, I thought it was supposed to be a longer segment than we had. And I realized suddenly the producer is sending me these sort of harried Slack messages like, hey, uh, just so you know, this is how much time we have on the clock right now. And I'm like, why is he getting so upset <laughs> off the interview? And I was like, oh my God, that was supposed to be a 10 minute A segment. <laughs> I felt so terrible. In that situation, um, the, the, it was good enough it was a good enough interview. We, we were lucky to be in a position where we could make it most of the show. We were talking with Melba Boyd, who's a poet and professor of black studies at Wayne State and Tristan Taylor, who's been really involved in Black Lives Matter in Detroit. Um, he's, he's, he's one of the co-founders of Detroit Will Breathe. And we were, we were asking, uh, you know, whether the approach should be the same and even could be the same now as it was in 67. And 68, we were asking about the role of the activist. You know, what's the relationship between activism and politics? That seems like a burning question right now for both sides of the aisle for me. The people who we see out demonstrating, can we assume that they will want to come into mainstream politics? Can we assume that their goals might shift as a result of that? Um, is that something that they as activists are aware of? I've seen so many people through my time reporting who've gotten involved in politics and then, you know, maybe got elected to city hall and all of a sudden the game's just very different. And I don't think that that's bad. I think that everybody imagines politics is something you can go in and change when what it really is is having a neighbor who keeps dumping his leaves on your lawn and you have to do something about it. You know, this guy's not leaving. He's not going anywhere. You have to, you have to, you have to work with him and you have to figure out how he's going to hear you say, stop putting your leaves on my lawn or you could, 
you could probably pick something that's a little a little more serious than just leaves that he's dumping on your lawn. And like, it's, it's so, I think about activists both in, in Black Lives Matter and involved in the Trump campaign and just like, what, is there an end game? What is it? Is that, is that something that we should be thinking about? Anyway, Tristan Melba had a whole bunch of interesting thoughts about that. And I don't know. I mean, do you guys remember the Occupy movement, Occupy Wall Street? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It wasn't really huge here, was it? It really wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a huge deal. So in Portland, five thousand people showed up the first weekend, the, like at the very first march. Five thousand people, and it kind of it it kind of distilled down. Um, over the weeks, but there, there was like a three month period when there were 300, 400 people living in this two block area of downtown Portland, continuing, you know, the work. And so a they've, lot of they've done this before. Well, okay, Nick, that was what I thought, right? But what I kept hearing when I was doing interviews was that um, we're creating something here that's never been done before. You know, this is we're reinventing politics. We might even reinvent society. And, you know, me as the the, um, <laughs> the jaded old journalist, I was going bananas. Right. Because Portland is a city where you can meet people who were uh, uh, communists in the in the 50s. You can meet people who were very active in the anti-war movement in the 70s. And you can meet people who were in Seattle for the WTO protests, mixing it up with with riot police. And it, um, it, was, it was making me nuts. You know, they, they really thought that direct action was a new thing. So I was like, well, I'm gonna show them. I'm gonna do a story that teaches them about their history. And I went, I went and I found somebody who had been uh, uh, an anarchist in the 50s. And I found somebody who had been uh, an anti-war activist in this, during Vietnam. And I found somebody who'd gone to the WTO. And I said, what do you think of what's happening at Occupy right now? And every single one of them said, this is exactly what's supposed to be happening. This is that they're, they're right. They're right that they're reinventing it, that every generation has to come to its own understanding of its own politics. I think that's very true of what we're seeing in the alt-right at this moment as well. They do think they're reinventing um, because they haven't been politically engaged. I don't want to, I don't want to suggest that what we're seeing is a normal political process in the alt-right because it's really not the case. But I do think that, um, you know, that, that thing, that old Mark Twain quote about history, not repeating itself exactly, but rhyming is so alive right now. So alive. And I'm, I'm now I'm old enough. I'm starting to hear the rhymes. Although what's interesting about that idea is that, it feels like a lot of the people who are who are the pro-Trump folks that have been rioting and, and being activists in recent weeks, they're not young people. Yeah, but they're, they probably haven't been politically engaged until Reagan's right. I mean, time. I guess they're young. That? They're young politically. They haven't really lived a political life. Um, yeah. But c- contrasting that to the the ages you typically saw at a, at a Black Lives Matter rally or any of those other events, compared to I mean, the crowd around the Capitol was an angry old man crowd, not a, not a vibrant young crowd, but. But the, I mean, 
I so hesitate to even bring them into this because it's not really a political movement, but a lot of those QAnon people are a little younger and like some of them are a little more diverse too, which the news, a lot of us in journalism haven't quite known what to do with that. There's, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Well, I want to get, you mentioned a few minutes back um, podcasting and I know that the, I know the state side kind of went into the podcast game this last year. It was a, a daily radio show and you're now doing, you know, kind of breaking it out into segments that come out on podcasts that people can find on you know, your podcast platforms and whatnot. I'm, how is, has that changed? I mean, you've been, you've been around a year, right? It was January of last year that you, that you came, but is, is, has that changed how you've gone about doing the show or how the show has been produced or how you plan it out, knowing that it's also now being broken into uh, podcast segments that will be uh, sent out? Oh, yeah. I mean, I almost feel like you should ask our producers uh, more than me, Laura and Mercedes and, and the other April, April Van Buren, because they're the ones who have to, are you seeing this cat? This cat is just like, <laughs> what up? Um, it really has changed our, our day-to-day process a lot. Mercedes Mejia likes to say, we're doing two shows every day. It is true that some of, you know, that, that the material that ends up in the show eventually in one form or another gets fed into the podcast. But what we're trying to do is figure out if we can provide, you know, it's like the difference, I guess you could say it's like the difference between cooking a meal that has an appetizer, a salad, um, a soup course, an entree, and a dessert. It's like the difference between cooking that and cooking like a, a, a one dish dinner, you know, like a sort of a meal in a bowl. We're trying to think, we're trying to provide something that is essential and nutritious about breaking news of the day, I guess, if that's not too strange uh, a way to put it. And we're also trying to um, just sort of feed the curiosity of people inside and outside Michigan about some of the unspokens, you know, just like really unpack a story and see if we can get to something essential that might not have been as obvious in the edit that we do for the show. I mean, sometimes you use the, the, the sort of techniques of art by dropping in a little music at a certain point or uh, everyone's favorite, you know, using some really evocative sound when you're doing the kind of show that stateside's broadcast is, there's not always time to work those elements in. But with the podcast, we are making the time for it. And because it's sort of more of a one subject treatment, you can do that. It's also giving us a chance to, um, when, you can, when you can do like a three minute setup with sound from the US Capitol and, and sound from a protest and then sound from Debbie Stabenow saying, I had to be shown how to put my, put my gas mask on. <laughs> kind of, it kind of focuses people's attention in a different way. And we are enjoying having some experimentation with that. I feel like we're not covering anything in the podcast that we wouldn't cover in the show. We're just sort of doing it in a different way. Have you found that your audience has shifted from listening on the radio to listening to the podcast or are you reaching new people that you weren't reaching before? Do you have any idea about that? I've been, it, it's hard to, it's hard to know hundred percent for sure. A lot of what we're, um, I mean, the broadcast audience is still so much larger than the podcast audience. Sure. The podcast audience is growing quite a lot. And I've been, I mean, cold uh, oat, you could reach the cold oatmeal heights at some point. Sure. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> maybe. Eyes on the prize, maybe. <laughs> Um, I, 
I've been, I've been one of those people in our industry who's been yelling about on-demand content for a very long time now. I've, I've felt that it was very important that we, that we get serious about on-demand. Um, geez, this would be going back to like 2005. I started a daily news podcast sort of on a, on a lark at my old station and it, it, it wasn't huge. It wasn't, it wasn't huge and it was not grand. It was more like a, it was more like a newscast that you might hear on the radio with a few extra bells and whistles, but it was really fun. And I realized that there were people, I mean, in Portland, you're very aware that people are not driving. There's so many cyclists. Right. There are so many, um, you know, train commuters and bus commuters. And there are people who, you know, aren't sitting in their car listening to morning drive radio. And I, I felt like we needed to do something to start catching them. And I've, that hasn't changed. It's only deepened as the podcast revolution has sort of swept over us all. I don't know. And, and I'm just sort of interested by the kind of listening that podcasts allow us to do. When I'm listening to podcasts, I got two things I'm going for. I either want a quick uh, download of everything that I really have to know in the moment, like the NPR newscast or the Wall Street Journal's um, the Wall Street Journal's updates, they do market updates about three times a day. And I, I listen to those too. Or I'm going for something like post reports from the Washington Post, which I just think is so well produced. Or uh, the Daily from the New York Times or The Economist has a daily podcast that I'm also very fond of. Um, either that, or I just want like a, a long form enjoyment listen, like This American Life or um, I, there's there's a couple of you know storytelling podcasts. What was, there's this one that Hanif Abdurraqib hosts. He's a music critic from my hometown of Columbus, Ohio, where they're they're talking about some pretty great music history stuff. I love listens like that too, where somebody has clearly just nerded out on a topic and wants to tell you about it. We can't really do that with stateside, but we're trying. Well, my walk around my neighborhood is exactly 50 minutes long. So I, that's the target. My target zone is a 50 minute podcast. Yeah. I either have to walk <laughs> faster or slower. <laughs> you guys are all pretty quiet. Like, what are your, what are your tastes in podcast? I mean, do you, do you go for long or short or deep dive or. I think, I think I'm with you on the, on the shorter ones, like the shorter news just to get an update on things. But otherwise I listen to a lot of the wondery podcasts, which are like almost um, documentary type podcasts that go into a deep dive of some crazy doctor in Michigan or something like that. I what tend do you listen to, like to those now? Ones. There's a new one on Wondery. I don't know. I'm going to have to look it up. Okay. In the meantime, you can tell us what you listen to. I listen, I don't listen to any like highly produced short like news ones. I just don't. It's not my thing. I, I listen to almost exclusively mm. comedians yeah. rambling for up to an hour. The Joe, new one so long. They're so long. <laughs> I, I mean, I have time. I'm in the kitchen. I'm, I'm working out. Like it's always easy to just have it on. I mean, it's and it's not like it's like, oh wow, I missed something that they were talking about. Like they're talking about nothing, so it's fine if I kind of <laughs> if I kind of miss in. a little bit. There's a new one on Wondery called The Apology Line, which was um, in the '80s. This man he set up as an art project this line where people could call it and just apologize for whatever they've done in their life and. <gasps> Um, his wife now is going through and sharing all of those and kind of the story and how this um, serial killer started calling in. That sounds super <gasps> creepy. And um, 
I'm only on the second episode. It comes out, you know, one new episode a week, but it's very, very interesting. I mean, that sounds like an audio book, Nikki. Is it like more like an audio book than, than a podcast? Um, no, it's, it's more like a podcast because you have, um, you know, a, a main person who's talking that you're listening to tell the story and, um, kind of lead the story of that episode that week kind of a thing, um, versus an audio book is more of, you know, somebody reading a book to you. Right. Yeah. So there was, there was a great one. And I, I was listening to for a while in Oregon. Um, what was it called? I can't remember what it was called, but, um, the woman who voices, um, Lisa Simpson, Yeardley Smith, she married uh, a police, a retired police detective from Lane County, Eugene, Eugene, Oregon area. So like she and her best friend got together with him and his brother, who was a police sergeant. Like one of them was a county guy and one of them was a city guy. And they used to just go through the case files. I think it was called, I think it was called Small Town Dicks, which is <laughs> <laughs> for a podcast ever. Um, and it was fabulous, just procedural stuff. So good. So good. And not, not really, I mean, it was, it was obviously, you know, influenced by true crime, but it just had that sort of, these are the people who investigated the cases telling you about it. It was amazing. So April, I want to, I have three quick questions, three quick hitters to get you, get you out of here and back on to your day. Um, And so I guess these first two might be the same thing, maybe the same answer, but maybe not curious. Who was your favorite interview ever? What was your most memorable interview and who is your bucket list guest? Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> like you get to this point where you've talked to so many people. It's hard. Um, all right. I'm going to try. Can I do the most memorable one first? Because that's sure. easy. It was Robert McNamara. I was in Cleveland and all of 27 years old <laughs> hosting a daily show, right? And this was, did any of you see the, the documentary that Errol Morris made, The Fog of War? It, no. was, it was basically, okay, so it was basically one-on-one -on -one interviews with McNamara, where he was going back and kind of owning what happened in Vietnam in a very, it, it, was, it was very raw. And what that was based on was McNamara wrote a book, Argument Without End, where he and a couple of historians declass went went back and got like 10,000 pages of documents declassified from the Vietnam era and convinced their counterparts in Vietnam to do the same and then they had sort of a a summit or a a, a symposium where they went back and they talked about what went wrong no what really happened and at this stage this is what one side was thinking. And at this stage, this is what the other side was thinking. Now, it's, it, it's not that hard to go back and look at the facts of Vietnam in a macro way and, and kind of feel like you have an understanding of what really went wrong. But I thought it was kind of, I thought it was kind of auda audacious of them to really give history a roadmap of this is what we thought we were doing, or this is what we told ourselves we thought we were doing. And so McNamara had sort of gotten himself in that headspace for the fog of war with this project when Errol Morris approached him about the movies. It was sort of like a, a dress rehearsal for what that film became, anybody who's seen the movie. But um, doing that interview with him was pretty mind-blowing. 
And I couldn't believe I was talking to Robert McNamara. Yeah. I was, I was sort of unprepared for the possibility that someone at that level of government might be willing to talk about what they did. Now, was he entirely forthcoming? I didn't find him entirely forthcoming, but there was, there was a lot there. There was a lot. And more, more so, there was a guy who called me after who ended up being a good, we, we got to be good friends. He asked for a tape of the interview and I said, sure. He said, I want it for my work. And I said, well, where do you work? And he said, I work in housing, a housing mediation agency. So he, he worked on landlord tenant disputes. And I was like, what does Robert McNamara have to do with that? And he said, well, what he was saying is absolutely true that people would, people tend to escalate when there was a possibility of actually figuring out what the problem was and addressing it. And that's just, I mean, I had to lie down for a week, you know, just thinking <laughs> to think about that. And it, it, it has become something that I've come back to again and again and again in talking to people and sort of keeping in mind for anything that I was reporting or interviewing that there is, there is a moment of escalation that we all do in our personal lives. You know, as simple as who didn't do the dishes, you know, <laughs> or as much as um, why is this country in the grip of a pandemic? There, there are many, many moments where we escalate when we could, we could think about addressing, stepping up to the problem. Mm -hmm. So, so, so you've, uh, you've got some good ones on the board. Is there a, a white whale for you? Is there someone you mean like? That, that you've like, hoped you've hoped to interview, you've wanted to interview, you've tried oh, to interview. God. It just Steve, hasn't happened. Stevie Wonder. <laughs> I missed John Cash. I was sad. Um, I got to see him play live, but I didn't, I never got to interview him. Um, I don't know. It's like there's so many. I've reached this point in my reading life too, where I'm never gonna read all the good books. I'm going to read as many of them as I can, but I don't really lie awake at night worrying about people I'd love to interview. I mean, there's people like, oh, there's people like um, the filmmaker Gus Van Zandt who lives in Portland. You can interview Gus Van Zandt, but he's just really like hard to talk to. Like he doesn't like doing interviews and he's not a full sentence guy, you know? So there are people you think you want to interview. And I'm actually glad I never got FaceTime with Gus. That's okay. Um, I would have, I would love to talk to, um, <laughs> see, I don't know. now you got me going. Uh, not, nothing from the 1980s hip hop scene, like, uh, like your producer, Laura. Oh my God. She's I'm going to let her handle that. You know, what's yeah. funny is like, she won't, she won't let me, he won't. I thought that she was going to want to book me a bunch of Detroit hip hop interviews. And she's like, no, no, I have. I'm, I'm not current with the scene. I could not ask <laughs> questions. And I'm well, based on, on based on her stories, they didn't always go very well from her, in her own experience. Up. Up. There, are, there are lots of people. <laughs> so crazy, but you know what I keep thinking, and I'm trying not to say it. I wish I could. I wish I could talk to my grandmother, who passed when I was like 23, I think. There's just so many little mysteries in her life that I've never been able to tease out. I hope that doesn't seem like a dodge because it's not. Yeah, good answer. Like a better a real, answer than a any real... I would have guessed. <laughs> she was she was very reserved always, and in the last years of her life, she was especially so. I'm starting to understand why she clammed up <laughs> to get older. <laughs> it's 
the world had really, she was a child of the depression and the world had really done a number on her. And um, I would love to talk to her about those things. Were you close growing up? Very much when I was small. And then she kind of, she was dealing with some mental illness. Like she would tell people stories about things that were happening to her that were not true. And yet at the same time, she was kind of lucid about it too. She would say, well, I just wanted to see what you would say. It had a huge, huge interior life. I don't know if I could really get to the bottom of that, but also she was just, she was fun. And, and I, I miss that. People that, um, I always want to talk more to Ira Glass. I just love how he thinks. People think that this American life is all about his quirky personality and like the way he talks, but it's not. He's one of the greatest writers and structural thinkers I've ever been in a room with. And I can listen to him talk about many, many things and learn stuff. I would like to, I would like to talk to more scientists and people who are going places that most of us never see. Places I think of as kind of vanishing, like in South America or the, the poles, all those vanishing places. The, the death of the nature writer, Barry Lopez, a couple weeks ago had me going back to some of his work and reminding how great it was. Oh, favorite interview. I'm sorry, I, I can't, what's wrong with me? Ursula Le Guin, the great science fiction writer. Oh, Laura looked up. Have you read some <laughs> Ursula? No. <laughs> She's the smartest person I've ever been in a room with. That woman had a, bear, a brain like a bear trap. And it was so interesting that she she turned her talents toward genre. But I was fortunate to talk to her, I think three times before she died. And it was an honor to be the person who wrote her obit for our station. She was just, she was so ahead of the Harry Potter curve and ahead of the Lord of the Rings curve and all of that stuff. And just didn't feel like a subject was worth writing about if you didn't bring your whole brain and just thought through so many interesting things. I mean, a lot of sci-fi is really um, relies on shtick and she never did. She was, she was always thinking and always thinking about how people would react to different kinds of situations and stimulus. Big, big brain. Well, April, I appreciate you taking some time. This was fun. Thank fun you. to get to know you a little bit and to, hear where you came from and, and what you got planned with the, with the show. So I feel like I talked too much. Well, that's what a podcast is for, right? The point of a guest. Hey, I can <laughs> see Joe. He's at, he's at home at the sink. He's, he's like, he's rolling with me. Well, we had to move, we had to move the podcast out of our studio into the kitchen. So he actually it literally is. Yeah, the fridge the is sink. behind me. <laughs> so, so we could socially distance. And you guys keep this. it rolling. You're, I, I really love your voices every week, and and I'm always you're you're keeping me in touch. Thank well, you. Well, that's very nice. I appreciate that. April Bear, host of Stateside. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. Uh, I think we might, I don't know. I hope if Zach Gorchow is still listening because his, his place on the throne of most appearances on cold oatmeal 
podcast may be threatened by the surprise guest we are about to bring to you right now. Shana Roth, you are with us. Are you with us? <laughs> I coming, am You are with coming you. for and Zach. I, you know, I am. I, I hope he knows I have thrown down the gauntlet. I am. Let's, let's do it, man. It's, it's on. Well, Zach needs to liven things up again because you've like written a book. You've like had a couple of new yeah, jobs. What's he doing? He's, he's just the same <laughs> thing. I'm a reporter. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> the Joe voice. But we are going to continue our theme, our, our radio audio uh, stuff theme today. Uh, we just talked to April Bear, who I know you know. Um, mm-hmm. But you have just started a new job and you are a, a fan favorite of the podcast. So we wanted to have you go on, come on and say, you know, what's up? What you doing? Yeah, so I started like at the very end of 2020, and I am finally back into the audio world. I am a producer for Slate's The Gist podcast. Um, It is a show that is hosted by Mike Pesca, who, if you're familiar with some of the NPR commentary, he's one of those guys. Um, And it's it's great. I I book guests. I uh, have also done my own segment already. They let me do a remembrances of things Trump bit. So yeah, it's, it's, I've been doing this for about a month and it's, it's great. It's so nice to be back in audio. So is it a current events kind of thing or how does, what's the, what's the theme of the podcast? It is. So it's a little bit of both. So every episode involves sort of an introduction monologue by Mike, and then he does an interview with a guest, and then he ends with what we call the spiel, where he just kind of goes off about something that's, you know, sort of going on in the world. So it's part commentary, part interview, and we cover politics, we cover popular culture, um, you know, really whatever's interesting and going on in the world, obviously, the last few weeks have been very full of politics, but I am excited for the new year to to be doing a little bit more with the with the popular culture and getting in some really interesting guests and talking to some interesting people. How long are the episodes? They're about a half hour to forty minutes. We try and keep them at that half hour mark. You know, when people start commuting again, the idea is for it to just be you know a good a good commuter length podcast. Are, are we looking at any uh, unsolved? murder mystery content at any point in the future? I mean, hopefully, maybe. We'll see. I mean, there's there's so many unsolved murders out there and so many unsolved crimes out there. I've, I never say no to, to that prospect. You should, try book, you should try this. Try booking yourself as a guest on the podcast to talk about your book. <laughs> say, Surprise! Look who's here. Right. Guys, I know, I know, I know you're looking at the calendar. It's Just go with it. Just go with it. We're just going to go with whoever's in the calendar. And oh, by the way, it's me. <laughs> How is the book going? How is the book doing? So for people who who might remember, what was the last spring we had you on when your uh, your yeah. book came out? How is that all? How is mm-hmm. that How's that been going? It's it's going good. You know, I've I've hit the two thousand copies sold uh, point, which is great. I had a nice boost around the holidays. It's people spending their gift cards and or finding gifts. You know, it's it, I think it worked for that. Um, so it's it's going well. You know, I haven't had a chance to really you know, throw myself out there into the marketing of it in quite a while. But, uh, but, but it, it, it seems to be going good. Every, every Friday I check Amazon to see how my, how my sales are doing. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's still kind of wild. I keep forgetting. I, I, I still will randomly forget like, oh yeah, I, I did write a book. What is time? It was what, three years ago? No, it was this past <laughs> spring. Who knows? <laughs> so have you found that you, did you miss the audio stuff when you went and did the uh, your print reporting job over at MLive for a while. Did you miss it and want to get back into it? I did. You know, I've always wanted to do, to put together a show and to be a part of 
of a show kind of, you know, like April is, is the host of Stateside. Um, you know, I've, I've dreamed of being able to be a part of a show like that. And, and this is really great. You know, it's a lot of the, the show is Mike's, you know, in that he's the host and he, you know, does the openings in the, in the, in his monologues and things, but, you know, we're really responsible for pitching ideas and coming up with different things we can do to kind of evolve the show and stay current. And I'm really looking forward to that. And, and yeah, I find something so soothing and, and enjoyable about, you know, editing audio and just listening to people talk. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's been really nice. I, I really, really like it. Joe, do you feel the same? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just checking. Joe has found his calling <clears throat> the editing and producing of the cold oatmeal podcast. <laughs> well, I'm, I appreciate you taking some time. I know you're busy and got a lot of stuff going on, um, but I saw the news of your new gig. I wanted to see if you could come explain it to us a little bit. What's the name of the show again? Where can people find it uh, and and subscribe? Yeah, it's called The Gist with Mike Pesca. It's through Slate Magazine, um, and you can really find it anywhere that that you get your podcast. He's 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 got an interesting an interesting perspective and quite the quick mind. So I I I was a huge fan of the podcast for a while. Cool. Well, we always appreciate you coming on. We'll let Zach know that he is on notice. I think you've at least tied him at this point. So um, he's going to have to. All right. I got to come up with some more stuff to do. I got to, I got to come back on. I got to come up with some more stuff. (laughs) Well, Shana Roth, thanks so much for for calling in quick and saying hello. Thanks, Shana. Uh, Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, guys. I think we have covered the radio waterfront on this podcast. You think? Seems yeah, like pretty well. <clears throat> the north coast of the waterfront, at least. Yeah. Always good to hear Shana, good friend of the podcast. Always good to talk to April. Nick and I have been on her show a couple times, and it's good to meet her and get to know her. And a they had, bit. her and Zach at four apiece. I'll have to go back and look. I think Zach's. I think they've been on four times apiece. Okay. They've been on together though, because they weren't they on the they were on the cold turkeys together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, and Zach's been a guest at least twice, and then he was also here with Corey once, right? If, yeah. if Zach is Alec Baldwin, does that make Shana Steve Martin? <laughs> that's, that's who you think of. Is this an yeah. SNL reference? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that landed really well. I never get any of the references. <laughs> take, I'll take a bow. And, and, and then see myself out. So long, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Nick, for uh, Joe, for Carly, for Nikki. That was Nick and Laura. Uh, This is Matt, and you have been listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast.